Now, the last time that I preached, we finished our study of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And as we got to the end of that study, I began to get many questions about where we were going to go next. And the answer to that is to the writings of John the Apostle. Now, initially, I had intended to go directly into a study of John's first letter, 1 John. But after thinking about it more, working on this, I decided it'd be better to do at least some work together first in the Gospel of John before we turn to the letters of John. Now, just to be clear, I do not intend to go through the whole Gospel of John verse by verse like we did with the Gospel of Mark a couple years ago. It'd be great to do that, but that's not my plan for this. Instead, I want to walk through the Gospel of John at a higher level, help us get a feel for what's unique, what's so compelling about his telling of the story of Jesus before we then dive deeper into John's letters for most of the rest of the year. So, so you may ask, well, how many sermons will we do on the Gospel of John? I'm not sure. But I have heard from reliable sources that seven might be the perfect number. I don't know. So, so perhaps, perhaps seven. We will, we will see about that. But, but with that said, our focus today is not going to be specifically the Gospel of John or specifically the letters of John. Instead, what I want to do is I want to take one Sunday, the first Sunday of this series, to focus on the Apostle John himself, or what I've titled John the Man. Since we're going to spend so much time in 2024 in his writings, I thought it'd be well worth our time to think about and to learn about the person who did all that writing, John the man. And that leads to my opening question, which is how much do we actually know about John? Okay, apart from him writing a lot of the New Testament, what do you know about John the Apostle? To press into this a little bit, I have a little quiz for us. You will not be graded on this, but... It is a round of Apostle John trivia. Okay, so I have put together eight questions. Question number one. Okay, and by the way, John the Apostle is different than John the Baptist. If you didn't know that, okay? So the guy named John in the story Mason just read, if he was named John, it was John the Baptist. Okay. But was John the Apostle originally a follower of John the Baptist? What do you think? Answer, yes. It appears that way. In fact, I would suggest that John the Baptist actually said these precious words to John the Apostle. Behold the Lamb of God. More on that a little bit later. Question number two. Was John the Apostle related to Jesus? Answer, yes, it appears that way. In fact, I would suggest that John's mom and Jesus' mom were sisters. John's mom's name, likely Salome. Salome seems to be Mary's sister. That would make John the Apostle and Jesus, what? Cousins, okay? All right, question three, was John poor? When Jesus called him. 
We probably know John was a fisherman. That might be something you knew about John. But was John a poor man? The answer to that? No, I don't think so. After all, John, his brother James, and their dad Zebedee seem to have a pretty good fishing business. And, and I think what points this out is that John was not a hired servant. He had hired servants working for him in that story. Okay. Question number four. Was John fast? Like, like a fast runner? And the answer to that is he was faster than Peter. <laughs> question number five. Okay, this, it's gonna, this question is up on the screen. Can you think of anything that John did or said in the Bible? Like, can you think of any story where John is actually highlighted? The answer to that, I don't know, because that's up to you. I don't know if you know or not. Okay, question six. How important was John in the early church in Jerusalem? Like, did he have a big role in that? Answer, very important. In fact, in Paul's first letter, he says that there were three pillars or influential leaders in the church in Jerusalem. Do you know who they were? It's James, the Lord's brother, who wrote the, the book that the ladies are studying on Monday, Peter, and John the Apostle. But it's interesting that in spite of that, we're told very, very little about what he did or what he said. Question seven. Where did John spend the last decades of his life in ministry? <clears throat> the answer is the city of Ephesus. The city where Paul spent most of his, the most time planting churches. In fact, I think John went after Paul died and served in the very churches that Paul planted and helped them. And then, last question, a picture. Painting. You know that painting? Okay. All right. Now, that painting has been, like, redone as an oil painting. Okay. So, yeah, this is the clearer version that often is shown. Okay. All right. Where's John in that picture? Where John is. Picture of the Last Supper by da Vinci. Okay. We'll zoom in on this, this part. Okay. Now, when you look at that painting, okay, John, so you got Jesus on the right and then John's closest to him. Okay. And you look at John, the apostle of love. Okay. How does that painting fit or not fit the presentation of John in the Bible? Okay. Now, the, the painting, by the way, is intended to show the moment Jesus told his disciples that one of them would betray him. So that's why John is leaning over to talk with Peter, or Peter will then ask John, Tell, ask, ask the master who it is. John, sitting closest to Jesus, leans over, talks with Peter. But it's interesting that John does not look to me very strong or very masculine in this painting. Uh, from what I've read, that was largely due to da Vinci's practice in a lot of paintings of signaling which men were younger by having them look more feminine. So he's presenting John as young in comparison with other apostles, especially Peter, and that could very well be the case. But I just want us to keep this painting in mind because it's pretty well known. And then think about it in light of the stories of John the Apostle. Okay, John may have been young, but he was anything but weak 
timid or mild-mannered in the stories that are actually told about him in the Bible. Okay, so for the rest of the morning, let's get to know John the man. Okay, you want to have your Bibles open? I'm going to try to walk us in order through the life of John, which means we're going to have to go to a few different passages. And I've decided to lay out John's life in three phases. We'll talk most about the first phase, and then I'll just kind of tell the story of the second two phases. But the first phase, from the Jordan River to the cross. Okay, so where are we first introduced to John the Apostle in the story of the Bible? Okay, the answer, in my opinion, is in the passage that was just read to us for the New Testament reading. But it's not the, he's not the guy named John in that story. Okay, so I want to go back there. John chapter 1, I'm going to pick up in verse 28. John chapter 1, verse 28. These things that John the Baptist was doing took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John the Baptist, the baptizer, was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. And he bears witness to Jesus. Okay, look at verse 35. The next day, again, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said to those two guys, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this. And they followed Jesus. Now, in many ways, that story is what the whole Gospel of John is telling us. Behold the Lamb of God. Look at him and follow him. But what I'm suggesting here is that John, the apostle, is one of those two disciples of John the Baptist in this story. One was definitely Andrew, and the other, I believe, was John. And now their leader, John the Baptist, tells them Look, there's the man. There is the Lamb of God I've been telling you about. And from that time on, John, who probably would have known Jesus already, saw Jesus differently. But this was not the only life-changing meeting that John had with Jesus. This one happened down south. Okay, it's going to be hard to see exactly, but that's trying to show where you get the Jordan River running right down through the middle. And that's saying Bethany beyond the Jordan probably about where that was. That's where that meeting happened. But the next meeting that would completely change John's life would happen north, not long after this, when Peter, Andrew, James, and John were all back in their hometown of Capernaum, just north of the Sea of Galilee. And perhaps you'll remember hearing this story from the Gospel of Mark or from many of the accounts in the Gospels. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 19. This is how Mark's gospel begins. Going on a little farther, Jesus saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed Jesus. From that moment on, John's life would forever be defined 
by his relationship to Jesus. Not that of uh, being Jesus' cousin, but of being his follower and eventually his apostle. Jesus called a fisherman with the specific intention of turning him in to a fisher of men. Jesus was on the move, and from the beginning, John was with Jesus. But those four fishermen were, of course, not the only ones that Jesus would call. Jesus set aside 12 men to be his apostles. John is one of them, but I want us to look at the list of the 12 and how John is described in the list. So if you're in Mark's gospel, look just a little bit later. Mark chapter 3, verse 14, and pay attention to how John is described in the list. Mark chapter 3, verse 14. Jesus appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and so that Jesus might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Jesus appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Did you remember that about John, that nickname? I mean, I love that name. Jesus gives James and John a nickname, Boanerges. Mark says that meant sons of thunder. Now, what kind of guy or guys get a nickname like that? Keep that in mind. But the other thing to note from the list is that you'll notice Peter, James, and John are listed first. And what you come to find out, if you just read on a little further, is that those three men become what we often call Jesus' inner circle. And what this means for John is that he was an eyewitness to several moments in Jesus' life that even the rest of the 12 did not get to see. And I won't take us to all the texts that tell the stories, but I just want to tell you just three of the things that he saw that even the other 12 did not get to see. In Mark chapter 5, do you remember the story of the little girl who died? She was about 12 years old and was the daughter of the ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum, in their hometown, in the village. John got to go inside that house where there was all that weeping and commotion. Jesus specifically took Peter, James, and John in there, and John got to see with his own eyes Jesus bring that little girl back from the dead. Later, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus wanted to go up to a mountain to pray, and he only took Peter, James, and John. And on that mountain, Jesus was transfigured. For a short time, the glory and the brilliance of Jesus shone through, and John saw his glory. Not only that, John got to hear and see Moses and Elijah talk with Jesus about what Jesus was about to do in Jerusalem. John heard it and saw it on the mountain. And then later, in Mark chapter 14, 
on the most distressing night of Jesus' life, Jesus took Peter, James, and John deep into the Garden of Gethsemane so that they could pray with him. John, though much of that time he slept, John saw Jesus' pain. John saw Jesus fall on the ground with the weight of the world on his shoulders. John saw the sweat dripping down from Jesus. And John heard Jesus wrestle in prayer about the cup that he was about to drink. Those are a few of the special things that John saw or heard. But what I want to look at now are the few times we get to see something about John. There aren't many, but there are enough to get a feel for what he was like. Okay, the first two things where we actually get to see something specific about John are recorded in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Okay, they're recorded back to back. So go to Luke chapter 9, and I want to take a look at these. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 43. This is shortly after the transfiguration, like after they came back from the mountain. Luke 9, 43. And, and all were astonished at the majesty of God, because Jesus is just cast out a demon. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they didn't understand the saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So instead of asking Jesus about that, what do they, what do, they do? Verse 46, Luke 9, 46. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. I mean, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm about to be killed. They don't ask him about that. Instead, they argue about which of them was the greatest. Jesus gives them some instruction about this, about the person being least among them would be the one who would be greatest. But look at verse 49. Then John speaks up. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow with us. But Jesus said to him, don't stop him, for the one who's not against you is for you. Because, okay, that is the only time we ever hear John speak on his own uh, in, in the Gospels. And it doesn't sound very good. Right? I mean, right after they've been arguing about who's the greatest in their group, John tells Jesus, you know, Jesus, I saw somebody out there doing stuff in your name, and I tried to stop him. Because he wasn't part of the group. Okay? The second story comes right on the heels of this one. Look at, the, look at the next verse, verse 51. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went ahead and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. Okay, what kind of picture do you have in your mind now of John from those stories? 
Those two stories. Master, we saw somebody doing good stuff in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't part of the group. And Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven like Elijah did and consume those Samaritans? Okay, for the third story. doesn't get that much better. Let's go to Matthew chapter 20. The story is told in a few places, but this is the fullest account. So you can see what's happening. Matthew chapter 20. Amazingly, this scene also happens immediately after Jesus tells his disciples again that he's going to be killed. Okay, this is a different time, but he tells them again, and then this scene happens. Matthew 20, verse 20. This is immediately after that. Matthew 20, 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus with her sons. And kneeling before Jesus, she asked him for something. And remember, this is likely Jesus' aunt. Verse 21. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? They said to him, we're able. He said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it's for those for whom it's been prepared by my father. Again, this is clearly not so good. Right? James and John get their mom to request the seats of honor for them in Jesus' kingdom. This, of course, caused a big stir among the disciples. Why? Because they all want those seats. They all wanted the seats. That's why they're upset about it. But did you catch the discussion at the end about whether they'd be able to drink the cup? At the time, I don't think they had any idea what Jesus was even talking about. But they would find out not long after. They would come to realize that that cup would be filled with suffering. And though they would not drink it, in the exact same way as Jesus. They would be called soon to follow in his footsteps. Okay, now, so far, I think we'd have to say there's not a whole lot to love about John in those stories. I mean, he's portrayed as bold, brash, harsh, arrogant. That's very likely how he got the nickname, Sons of Thunder. That's one of the sons of thunder. You would not expect this man from those stories to become known later as the apostle of love. So how did that happen? And put simply, it was Jesus. Jesus just stuck with him and kept working on John. And this brings us to the last stories about John in the Gospels, which happened during the last week of Jesus' life. And for those, we come back to the Gospel of John. John's the one who tells these stories. Go back to the Gospel of John. It's the night before Jesus dies. It is the scene in da Vinci's painting. But I want you to see how John describes the scene and how John describes himself. John chapter 13, verse 21. John 13 21. <clears throat> after saying these things, this is after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. It's the Last Supper. And he testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. 
The disciples looked at each other, uncertain of whom he spoke. 1323, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And of course, the answer is that the betrayer was Judas Iscariot. But what I want to draw our attention to is to the man sitting closest to Jesus, the man who is leaning back against Jesus' chest. Who is that disciple? That disciple is none other than John. But instead of saying his own name, which he never does in the Gospel of John, not even one time, how does John describe himself? He says he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, now I think we could read that and make jokes about that thing that sounds a little proud or something, but it is far from it. And after all, John doesn't say, I'm the disciple who loved Jesus, though he did love Jesus. John is not trying to highlight how awesome he was, nor was he trying to say that he was the only one that Jesus loved. Instead, John came to realize that his identity and his story was wrapped up in that. I am the disciple that Jesus loved. It was the love of Jesus that changed him and made him who he became. Now, from here on out, I pretty much just have to tell the stories. Not long after this scene, Judas betrayed Jesus to the Jewish leaders. Jesus would be taken, remember, to the high priest. It turns out that Judas wasn't the only one who had connections to the high priest. John also had connections to the high priest. So he was able to go in to the courtyard of the high priest. That's how Peter got in there as well. He went along with John. But of course, that night, Peter denied Jesus three times that he even knew Jesus. So when Jesus went to the cross, Peter was nowhere to be found. But Jesus was not entirely alone at the cross as he climbed that hill to Calvary. For one thing, there were several women who went with Jesus all the way to the cross. There was Mary Magdalene. There was Jesus' mother, Mary. But there was also Mary's sister, Jesus' aunt, John's mother. She was there too, following Jesus all the way to the cross. But there was also one disciple. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when the soldiers came, they all fled, including John. But two of them came back to see what would happen, Peter and John. But only one of those two actually went to the cross. It was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And this stood out to Jesus, and I think it meant a lot to Jesus, even as Jesus was dying. If you want to hear how John describes this, it's in John chapter 19, verse 26. John 19, verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. 
And remember, Jesus had many brothers. Mary had other sons. But John was closer to Jesus than Jesus' own brothers. For one thing, those brothers had not believed in Jesus yet. But even after some, if not all of them, did, it was still John who would take care of Jesus' mother until she died. That is the story of John the Apostle from the Jordan River to the cross. For the other two parts, I won't spend as much time on them, but, but what happened with John after the cross? He was there. He saw it. What happened after? The, I'll just highlight a couple events. One, Easter Sunday morning. So the story is told in John chapter 20. I plan to come back to this on Easter Sunday this year. Mary Magdalene had gone to the tomb early Sunday morning. She found the stone rolled away. So what did she do? She ran and she told Peter and John. And so what did they do? They both took off. And I love how John says twice that he was faster than Peter. John got there first. But John would not go in. Peter gets there later, and like Peter, he goes straight in to the tomb. That leads to John 20, verse 8, perhaps the greatest moment in John's life. John 20, verse 8. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw, and he believed. I hope to come back to that on Easter. But John highlights that as the moment that everything clicked. Until that moment, he had not understood what Jesus had been talking about, about his death, and particularly his resurrection. But when he saw the empty tomb and the linen cloths, he believed. That's when John truly understood what John the Baptist had told him years before. Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. About 50 days later, John would be there with Peter at Pentecost, and God would use Peter and John to grow and establish the church in Jerusalem. My favorite story from that time is when Peter and John heal a, blind, or a lame man who had been laid outside the gate of the temple. Maybe you remember that story. That healing caused such a stir, it led to their arrest, their interrogation by the same people who had been doing this stuff to Jesus. Peter and John stand there side by side this time with incredible boldness. And it leads to some of my favorite verses in the book of Acts. Acts 4, verse 13. Do you remember this? Now when those leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and recognized that those guys had been with Jesus. They then, they don't know what to do about the, the, the lame guy, so, who's now better, so they just tell Peter and John, don't talk anymore about Jesus. Don't say anything in his name. And I love this verse. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you instead of to God, you can judge. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That's the second event of his life after the cross that I'd highlight. The third was a tragic one. It was the day when John's brother James was murdered. James was the first apostle killed for Jesus. But he would not be the last. 
In fact, one by one, every one of them, except for John, would be killed for Jesus. But it was John's own brother, James, who would be the first to lay down his life for Jesus. And this leads to the last event in Acts that we know about John, and that was the Jerusalem Council, where Peter, John, Paul, Barnabas stood together side by side to make it clear that God fully welcomes all who trust Jesus, whether Jew or Gentile. But what happened to John after all of this? He lived another 50 years after the Jerusalem Council, approximately 50. What did he do? This is where the biblical account goes pretty silent. But you can pick up enough from some of his writings and then especially from early church tradition to put together some of what happened. Peter and Paul are both executed in Rome in the 60s. After that, John seems to go to Ephesus, where he would minister for the next couple of decades. In fact, as I said earlier, John likely served in the very churches that Paul had helped to plant decades earlier. And John would serve there in Ephesus for many, many years, sometime in the 80s, most likely, well after the other three Gospels had been written. John, some people, tradition says he was encouraged to do this, actually. But John decided, for one reason or another, to write his own eyewitness account of Jesus, which we call the Gospel of John. Sometime after that, he writes the three short letters that we still have, probably to the churches in Ephesus. And then finally, by this point, every single other apostle has been killed. John just keeps living on and on and on. Not that they did not try to take his life. You can read about some of those things. But finally, in the late 90s, John is exiled to the island of Patmos out in the Aegean Sea, not uh, a little bit away from Ephesus. And that's where John likely died in the year 98, but not before John received a revelation from Jesus Christ that would complete the story of Scripture. Now, I hope that that story has connected in different ways with your own story and that it's drawn you to Jesus. As we close, I want to share a couple things that have stuck out to me from the story. Okay. On the one hand, as, I, as I've thought a lot about John, John remained the same man in some ways that he always was. I mean, he's presented as a strong man in his youth who saw things very black and white. And that is exactly how he wrote <laughs> as an old man. On the other hand, John was dramatically changed by Jesus into the apostle of love. If you only had the stories from his early days, I don't think you ever would have expected that this man would have turned out the way that he did. But I think that's the case for many of us. Jesus has the power to change us. John, the son of thunder, became John, the apostle of love, who talks more heartfelt to other Christians than anybody, always calling them. His children, his dear little children. 
And it's right to call him the apostle of love. After all, who else highlights God's love for the world more than John? Or Jesus' personal love for him more than John? Or the need for us to love God and love each other? We see from John's story something we all need to remember, which is that Christ has the power to change anyone, including us. But Christ also does not obliterate who we were. Christ takes us just as we are and makes us into what he wants us to be, what he's always seen that we could be. And you see that in John's life. In fact, I I came across this line from an old book that I had that talked about this with John. It said, to the last, John was what he was at the first. An intense hater as well as an intense lover. But in his later years, he knew better what to hate. I love that. A second thing that's caught my attention from John's life is that he knew he was truly loved by Jesus. In fact, that was the thing that defined his life. Do you know that Jesus loves you? Like, do you hear him say, I am the one Jesus loved. And do you think, that's me too? Who are you? What if you responded, I am the man Jesus loved? How might that ground you or comfort you or give you boldness. And lastly, I realized this week something I'd never thought deeply about. And it was this, that that John from the Garden of Gethsemane fled like everybody else. When the soldiers came into the garden, he fled, but then he came back. I don't think I ever really thought about it. He came back. And he went all the way with Jesus to the cross. And by God's grace, he never fled again. (laughs) Maybe you've fled or are being tempted to run from Jesus. Maybe you think this is the last Sunday I'll be here. If you're being tempted, don't go. Don't run. Where are you going to go? And if you've already begun to flee, you learn from John's story, there's a path back. Turn around and go back. Go back to Jesus, and especially go back to his cross. Let's pray. Father, would you take this story of our dear brother, someone that you loved deeply, and would you remind us that you love us too? that you can change us, make us into exactly what you know we can be by your grace. And thank you that you gave this man a long life so that he could write down the books that we could study so that we might learn of you and grow to love you more. 
We pray this in Jesus' name.